Welcome back to Think for Christ. Today we're going to be continuing our series on the introduction to apologetics by looking at the cosmological argument for God. Have you ever puzzled over the mystery of existence? Have you ever thought deeply over the remarkable fact of your own being? Have you ever wondered, why do I exist instead of not existing? Why am I here instead of not being here? For that matter, why does anything at all exist? The moment you ask yourself these questions, you will be confronted with the most profound question of all. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why does anything exist instead of nothing? How come anything at all rather than nothing at all? Now at this point, I think we need to say a little something about nothing. There's a lot of confusion going around nowadays about the meaning of the word nothing. Physicists, for example, often talk about nothing as if it were an exotic sort of something, such as empty space or the quantum vacuum or the laws of physics or what have you. But these are obviously not examples of nothing. They are instead all examples of something. Nothing properly understood and defined is simply the absence of anything. Nothing literally means no thing. Nothing is not a substantive, it's not a common noun. Rather, it's a term of universal negation. To say that nothing exists is not to say that there is something that exists, namely nothing. It's rather to deny that there is anything at all. So when we ask, why is there something rather than nothing? We're asking a radical question. We want to know why anything at all exists rather than nothing at all. Keep pondering the mystery of existence, and you may confront yet another astonishing puzzle. If ever there was a time when there was nothing instead of something, then it would seem to follow that nothing could possibly exist now. After all, how could something come from nothing? Again, think about your own existence. There was a time when you did not exist, and then, at some point in the past, you began to exist. But you didn't just pop into existence from nothing. Something caused you to be, namely, your parents. Now, what's true about your own existence seems true about the universe itself. If the universe had a beginning, then something had to exist to bring it into being. So here's a second profound question. Supposing that, like you, the universe had a beginning, what caused the universe to begin to exist? What brought the universe into being from nothing? Now think about your own existence again. We've now uncovered two profound mysteries regarding your sheer existence, or the fact that you exist rather than not existing, and the origin of your existence, that you began to exist a finite time ago. But the mystery doesn't end here. There's a further question that you can ask about your existence, namely, why do I continue to exist? Why do I go on existing? Why is it that I don't simply blink out of existence in the next moment? Now, unless you're a philosopher, you probably don't worry about spontaneously ceasing to exist in the next moment. But why not? Why shouldn't we worry about this? So it's not just the sheer existence of things, or the origin of the existence of things, that is remarkable. Also remarkable is the fact that things that do exist keep on existing for as long as they do. And this brings us to a third profound question. Why do things continue in existence. What is it that keeps things in being for as long as they are? What prevents them from slipping back into nothingness, the nothingness from which 
They came. And the mystery of existence doesn't end here. If you keep on reflecting on the nature of your own existence, it won't be long until you come up against another remarkable fact. Reality does not have to include you. In fact, it doesn't have to include any of the things that currently exist. Our universe is filled with a lot of things, including you and me. But it seems perfectly possible for some other universe to exist, one filled with lots of other things instead. So here's another profound question you can ask yourself. Why does reality include me? Why does it include any of the things that it does, rather than some other things instead? Why do these particular things exist, rather than some other things? Why this universe, rather than some other universe? Now, you may be tempted to think that there's nothing particularly mysterious about these questions, that there's nothing at all special about existence. I mean, after all, existence is the most common thing in the world. Many, if not most of us, live our lives without too much concern over these big existential questions. Many, if not most of us, simply take the existence of things, including our own existence, for granted. In our fast-paced, dizzying world of distractions, few of us ever slow down to ponder the mystery of existence. But just because something is common, it doesn't mean that it is not also astounding or remarkable. Existence may be common and commonly overlooked, but it's also deeply profound. The questions related to the nature of existence are the most important questions that can ever be asked. If any question demands an answer, these questions certainly do. If any aspect of reality cries out for an explanation, these aspects of reality related to the sheer existence, the origin of existence, the persistence of existence, and the particularity of existence certainly do. These deeply profound existential questions are what lie behind and motivate the cosmological arguments for theism. Now, the word cosmological is a term that was first used to refer to this family of arguments in the 18th century by philosopher Immanuel Kant. The word comes from the Greek word for cosmos, which is a term that's used to describe the totality of things, or the sum of everything, or in modern usage, the world, or the universe. The word is appropriate enough, since what all cosmological arguments have in common is that they seek to show that God is the originating cause, or the first or the primary cause, or the ultimate explanation for the cosmos. The basic idea behind the cosmological argument is that the existence of the universe demands a cause, a reason, or an explanation. Cosmological arguments are the oldest, most prominent, and most powerful arguments for God. They're the oldest arguments for God because they go all the way back to the classical period of philosophy in ancient Greece. Almost as soon as philosophy was born, arguments for a supreme source of the being or the dynamism or the intelligibility of the universe began to be suggested. They are the most prominent because they've been defended by some of the greatest minds in history. A list of the proponents of the cosmological argument runs like a who's who of Western philosophy. It's a list that includes Greek, Roman, Jewish, Christian, and Muslim philosophers. On this list are familiar names like Plato, Aristotle, Plotinus, Augustine, Al-Ghazali, Avicenna, Averroes, Maimonides, Anselm, Bonaventure, Aquinas, Scotus, Descartes, Spinoza, Berkeley, Locke, Leibniz, and Clark, not to mention a host of contemporary philosophers today. They're also the most powerful arguments for God because they're in the form of metaphysical demonstration rather than probabilistic reasoning. 
Now, to understand what these terms mean and the distinction between the two, you'll have to reference the previous episode that I did introducing arguments for God. Now, this last point is important to remember because we don't want to mistake the nature of cosmological reasoning. Cosmological arguments are not, strictly speaking, scientific arguments. They're metaphysical arguments. The arguments are not not even raising the same kind of questions that science is equipped to answer. Now, to see this, consider that scientific questions are etiological in nature. In other words, they ask how one physical process develops or unfolds or leads to another physical process. In this sense, science is in the business of discovering proximate causes, or the immediate local causes of particular physical events and processes. Metaphysical questions, on the other hand, are ontological in nature. In other words, they ask, why are there any physical processes in the first place? Or why are there any physical things at all? Metaphysical questions are not merely after the proximate cause for this or that particular event or process within the universe, but they're after the ultimate causes for the very being of things in the universe. Cosmological arguments are therefore not subject to the so-called God of the Gaps fallacy. The God of the Gaps fallacy is a form of informal logical fallacy known as an argument from ignorance. It's committed when God is appealed to in order to explain or fill gaps in our scientific knowledge about the world. Just as some of the ancients explained lightning by appeal to the activity of Zeus, so it's often claimed that theists today explain the as-yet-unexplained by appeal to the activity of God. But, the criticism continues, just as science eventually explained lightning in purely natural terms, so science will eventually fill in whatever gaps that remain in our knowledge of the universe, thus leaving God with nothing left to explain. But the traditional cosmological arguments for God do not commit the God of the Gaps fallacy, because they are not arguments from ignorance. They're metaphysical demonstrations, and as we saw in the previous episode, metaphysical proofs argue from the fundamental aspects of nature or reality to God as their cause. Aspects of reality which must themselves be taken for granted and presupposed by science, but that could never be proved by science. Cosmological arguments also do not merely insert God as a kind of hypothetical explanation for some as-yet-unexplained physical feature of the universe. Rather, they show that God must be the precondition for the existence of any universe at all. So cosmological arguments do not in any way compete with scientific explanations. Now, this doesn't mean that science is totally irrelevant to cosmological arguments. As we'll see, at least one version of a cosmological argument does appeal to scientific findings in support of one of its premises. None of the arguments, however, depend on science, and therefore none of the arguments can possibly be challenged or refuted by the findings of science. It's also crucial to see that cosmological arguments rule out both atheism, on the one hand, as well as all forms of finite godism, on the other. Finite godism is a belief in a deity or deities that are finite and limited in certain respects. Another common objection that has no bearing whatsoever against cosmological arguments is the so-called one less god than you objection. It has become popular of late for atheists to insist that theists are also atheists of a certain kind, since monotheists reject all the various gods on offer except for one. 
The only difference between the atheist and the theist, so the criticism goes, is that the atheist simply rejects just one more god than the theist does. So if the theist were to compile a list of all the gods whose existence he rejects, Osiris, Zeus, Vishnu, Odin, so forth, the atheist could compile a list that is identical in every way to the theist, except that it simply adds one more god to the list to reject. Now, the implication is that, to be consistent, a theist ought to join the atheist and take the final step of rejecting the remaining god. Of course, the crucial move in this objection is the assumption that the god of theism is similar in the relevant ways to the finite gods of other religions. That God is just another member of a class of alleged super-beings or supernatural beings which are said to, to uh, inhabit the universe. So that if we have reason to reject the existence of these other gods, we'll also have reason to reject the existence of theism. But as I say, the, the one less God than you objection fails to have any force against the God of theism for two primary reasons. First, the cosmological argument for theism is precisely that. It's an argument for the God of theism. It gives good reasons to think that the God of theism exists, and by implication, good reasons to think that the finite gods of other religions do not exist. Or, if they do exist, they're not gods. They're creatures. Second, and more to the point at hand, the traditional cosmological arguments show that the God of theism cannot possibly be like any of the other gods on offer, or like any of the merely supernatural beings that are supposed to inhabit the universe unseen. And this is because the cosmological arguments do not simply posit the existence of a supreme being who exists among or alongside other beings in the universe, but rather a god who is responsible for there being a universe in the first place. In other words, a successful cosmological argument would show that God must be nothing less than the transcendent cause of the universe, and in no way a part or a member of the universe that he creates. If any of the pagan gods, supernatural beings, sky daddies, sky wizards, or sky buddies really existed, they would be nothing more than creatures who would themselves be dependent on the creator for their being. God cannot simply be added as a member of the class of gods that both atheists and theists reject. The god of theism transcends every category of being as the uncaused cause of all being. The traditional cosmological arguments, if sound, show that whatever else we want to say about the god of theism, he must be the sole ultimate reality and the sole ultimate explanation. He cannot possibly be just another member of the class of finite gods on offer in other religions. All right, so with a couple of crummy objections out of the way, it's now time to take a look at some of the arguments themselves. In the coming episodes, we'll briefly survey three different versions of the cosmological argument. We'll look at the Kalam cosmological argument, which argues for an originating cause of the universe. We'll look at the Thomistic cosmological argument, which argues for a sustaining cause of the universe. And we'll take a look at the Leibnizian cosmological argument, which argues for a sufficient reason for the existence of the universe.